This edition of Farming the Countryside is brought to you by Pivot Bioproof and 40 OS. The nitrogen you need, now on seed. Learn more at pivotbio.com. Welcome to Farming the Countryside. I'm Andrew McRae. Make a list of progressive farming practices, and there will be plenty of people that will tell you why it won't work where they live. In some cases, they may be correct, but Tom Cotter's farm proves many of those notions wrong. He grows multiple crops using several different farming methods, becoming a place that many come to learn how they can accomplish the same thing where they farm. It's our topic, this week's Farm in the Countryside, and it's brought to you by Pivot Bio. Farmers have faced many challenges regarding nitrogen needs for their corn crop in recent years, including global fertilizer shortages, higher nitrogen prices, and delayed plantings. The past few seasons, I've been using Pivot Bioproven 40 to provide my crops with nitrogen when they need it, no matter the weather. Now that predictability is available right on the corn seed. Pivot Bioproven 40 on seed gives growers even more flexibility with their nitrogen plant. Pivot Bio products contain naturally occurring microbes that fix nitrogen from the air provide it directly to corn plants all season long. Those microbes can replace up to 40 pounds of synthetic nitrogen fertilizer. I hope you'll learn more. Just contact your local sales rep or go to pivotbio.com. Tom Cotter farms near Austin, Minnesota. As you'll hear in a moment, his family has been tilling the land there for over a century. I had heard a lot about Tom's innovative practices that he uses on his land. Some are techniques you've certainly heard of or perhaps used. But Tom has often bucked the trend, doing things that others said wouldn't work, especially where he lived. He not only found they could be successful, but also a very important and profitable part of his farming picture. I know I learned a lot that I could use, and I think you may as well. Tom, let's talk about the history of your farm. I know you've been on the farm. You're several generations down the line now, right? Yes, fourth generation. So give me a little bit of the history on the crop side because you do quite a bit now what I would call conservation type of practices. Was that always the case or how did you transition into some of what you do today? Well, my dad was a storyteller and so he always said everyone has a story to tell. And his other phrase was, if you take care of the land, the land will take care of you. And so he always did a pretty good job on that, but we were just a typical farmers. You know, we did tillage, and I think 1875 they homesteaded and, and started doing tillage, and so we literally did tillage all the way up to probably 2013 is when we really started switching. But we started doing cover crops back in 1998 after peas we, we literally would do a corn soybean and every once in a while we throw a pea or a sweet corn field on the far away fields and so after those events we started doing cover crops after the can crops and so that's how we started doing covers we were we always had crp in spots and we always i think minnesota had a buffer strips on along the cricks we already had crp there you know 110 foot wide to 30 foot wide so we've always been conscious about taking care of it but now with doing the no-till and the covers all together and the livestock we've really i think my dad was never expecting us to go as fast as we did we literally went from step one to you know 
master in college. Or not, I shouldn't say master, but in college and cover crops within about five years. But realistically, for me, it took a while. But, you know, starting in 98, it gave me time. And, and I didn't know there was other people out there like Gabe Brown and Ray Archuleta. Just I was out in the middle of nowhere, me and him not knowing anything about this and everywhere we went all we heard was you can't do that it won't work and and i've had failures and i've had successes so talk about when people say it won't work in your area what is it that people think the the reasons are that it won't work well typically up here in southern minnesota it's you know too cold and uh, having temperature probes in the ground that we've actually seen when you have an actively growing good biomass cover crop I can actually warm the soil up a little bit. So I kind of threw that out. I don't think about that much. Now, if I was just no-tilling, I have seen where the covers didn't come through and the no-till was quite a bit colder and it wasn't as hard. Put them together and it just works so much better. And I've always felt, you know, the more you combine things, I don't like a monocrop, one, you know, one species out there, and I also don't like one way of doing things. I like multiple methods of doing things describe for people what your crop mixes on your farm because you have several canning crops and you have organic and conventional and you have i think a lot going on as far as what you're growing well in the conventional side so i'm a third organic two-thirds conventional was about 1200 acres and i've backed that down to about 850 uh, just because we started growing hemp for our stores, we opened up a couple stores, and so my partners wanted me to slow down a little bit, which it doesn't feel like I've slowed down. But in the conventional side, typically it's a four four way rotation. So we have peas, and then sweet corn, and then corn, and then soybeans. In the organic, I don't do the peas yet. I'll do corn, beans. Uh, organic sweet corn, but then I also throw in there sunflowers, and that's really uh, Ukraine. You know, Ukraine war happened, and that market just kind of exploded. So I jumped on that quick. And doing covers and doing all everything I'm doing, it's very easy for me to jump on quick markets like that. I've also grown hemp grain. I love the hemp grain, but still need that infrastructure in Minnesota. The food and fiber side is fantastic, but then also we I do do the CBD, so I grow organic certified hemp, and it goes into our stores. We have a store in Duluth, Minnesota, and a store down here in Austin. So, You mentioned something there that you said because you do cover crops, you can change quickly. Explain what you mean by that. You can take advantage of situations quickly. Yeah, I'm much more adaptable because I'm always planting something different, and I have the livestock. That's where the livestock comes in. It really gives me a capability of even though I'm not even doing anything with the field right now, I'm still getting money off it because my cattle are still grazing. So I can literally, I, I don't use as much chemicals. I, you know, not that my fields are the cleanest, but they're not probably the messiest either. And so with those covers out there, it gives me options of how, to, you know, well, I can let it sit for another month and a half, you know, without doing tillage because the cover crops are growing. And I can put livestock out there and I can capture a market Later, like sweet corn, I can be planting that all the way up to July 1st, and same with sunflowers, too. So being able to do that stuff really gives me the options to to jump on markets at the right time. And, and not and then, well, this year I'm doing buckwheat, too, organic buckwheat. The market's still not there, really, for me, but 
it's almost like a reset on a weedy organic field. And of course, I'm sitting here, you know, I'm a no-till guy on this side, and I'm a chemical-free guy on this side, and both sides are pointing fingers saying, oh, you're doing bad things for the soil. And I'm just really trying to take the best out of both worlds and making it work in my program. And you know, I think the end overall goal is to put out a better product. You know, I want to get paid for a better product. I don't like handouts. And I've done government programs, and they're, they're good to get started, but I hate being tied down. You know, restricted. I've seen a lot of things that on paper it works, but in the real world, it just there's different scenarios that happen. And with covers, it just makes me more flexible. With your ground being both conventional and organic, then do you have acres that are just then uh, dedicated to organic? I'm guessing because yes. so you yep. never those are always going to be organic. Then I guess. Uh yes. If anything, the organic will probably grow a little bit, but then again, you know. You get weed problems, thistles. Thistles have been notorious for me. That's that one field that went to buckwheat. Okay, we put a massive cover crop in there last fall, and we had to do tillage, so we plowed it under, planted a nice thick cereal rye, had that fighting the weeds. Came back, now I'm doing buckwheat, which is a good, you know, good defensive plant as far as smothering out other plants, which thistles or ragweed. And so it's kind of resetting and using plants to do stuff instead of the chemicals and it's not always easy, but, you know, and then my end goal is to, you know, put out a better product, and I feel that does. So, I'm curious, what have you learned from the organic side as far as weed control and soil health that you then apply over to the conventional side and say, hey, this practice works, and I can do this just as well using this method and maybe even save a little bit on my uh, my expenses? Actually, it's the other way around. Really? Okay. I, I use a conventional ground to really push it. And then when I can successfully, which just because it works one year, two year, three year, doesn't mean that you're not going to get a bad year in there somewhere. But with the conventional side, I can plant whatever I want. And I always have that little easy button of going out and spraying it with chemical. And, and that helps me. But on the organic side, I can't do that. So I have to be very careful. You know, I think, well, for example, two years ago, or no, it was, it was last year, I had... Uh, Nice field of cereal rye growing, and I, right off the back of the planter, I banded just a 10-inch strip of Roundup to help open up those soybeans, and so it looked like a relay crop without without all the special equipment, and I was able to let that rye grow longer. And when we harvested, and I let that rye grow for five weeks, I think, after I planted, so it kind of dinged the yields, but when we were combining, I was combining with my friend Jim, and he's like, oh, these beans are eight bushel less than everything else like oh i know that but this is an experiment uh, if i can master it here and bring it into the organic side now i can't use the chemical but i can do a strip of oats maybe in the fall you know to give some residue to cover the ground and still let that rye grow in between so i was experiment with in row crimping because i'm in minnesota it's hard to be able to crimp cover crops up here because we don't get warm enough until like june 8th june 10th at the earliest so Trying to play with it there and figure it out and then bring in the organic is usually how it works. But, you know, both sides, I feel like the end products, people always say that, oh, that's bad and that's bad. But in the regenerative side, the no-till side, it's great because I can put healthier soil and say when you have a rain event, I don't have my soil running off. But I can have chemicals running off. And then on the organic side, 
I don't have the chemicals running off, but I can have the soil run off. So there's a, each one is bad. One's a little worse for the environment. One's a little worse for us humans. So you try and balance it. It's interesting to me hearing you talk that it sounds like you're always experimenting, which is fine, but that will scare some people and say, well, how do you ever figure out what's best if you're always experimenting? Or do you find that, okay, I've got some things that are tried and true. I've done them long enough that I'm going to keep using this practice. Well, it seems like everything works and nothing works for long kind of scenario. Uh, I just just kind of roll with, if anything changes more, it's probably me adapting to the climate or the weather and so that's why i i inter, intercede into corn that's to try and get more feed value so i don't have to plant later in the year but this year we didn't do it because it was too dry and that's why i, I always say that you know cover crop guys are really jack of all trades and much more adaptable because i'm always planting different scenarios because yes it might work this year it might work next year but it might not work the year after and so i'm always I think I plant cover crops at least five different ways almost every year. So, gandy box on vertical till if I need speed. Uh, Spread just broadcast on top of ground with a high clearance rig. I've never flown on just because I like the high clearance better. The inner seating is probably my favorite because that's where you get almost into the three daughters scenario. Native Americans, multiple things growing together, and I really like that. But we're dry this year. Couldn't do that, so... And then, of course, drilling, no-till drill is probably the best by far, but that's pretty slow going or very expensive if you want to get a big one. So, Well, you have all those different methods. Is it always changing just because of weather conditions and what crop's growing? Is that how you determine how we're going to seed it this year? Absolutely. Uh, it, 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 well, I have cattle, so first thing's based on do I need feed. Can I graze it, you know, late summer or can I graze it during the winter time and so all those scenarios fall into where I'm gonna where I'm gonna do things organic side I love to graze but I want to graze that early on so I can get the manure deposit after you know late in the year or early spring I don't want to graze as much because I want that cover crop being my weed protection and so it's a fine balance of trying to jump here and there and of course then again every year the cover crops react differently and so I really have to be careful of where am I going to go graze and stuff like that. What do you do as far as a preferred cover crop, or is it always a mix of cover crops you're planting? Well, I would say I have a I have a baseline of my favorite cover crops. I, I like the red clover because it always competes. Like It can be interseeded. It can go into a 25-way species, and it always comes out shiny. That sweet corn field that I just planted, no-till deer, two days ago that was a pea field last year with a 23 species and i think winter rye buckwheat and the red clover are the ones that really came through really good for me and so here i'm planting you know it's drier than heck out i graze this field for a month and a half and as i'm planting i have the winter rye residue on the ground from crimping it and then i have the red clover growing in with it and a little bit of buckwheat some thistle which you know, I sprayed that yesterday, got rained out, but uh, it's just, and then I, I do like, so winter rye, buckwheat, red clover, I like a vetch in there if possible, uh, what's some, and, and bayou kale, that's a great brassica, you know, tillage rash is great, but cattle can't really graze it, they'll, they'll graze it, but once they kick it, that tube's done, you know, that plant's done, a bayou kale, 
they can literally eat on it, it'll regrow, and they come back and eat again. So, Because you do graze your cover crops, does that make your selection of cover crops then different from perhaps somebody that is just cropping without livestock? Yes, because I'd probably go heavier. Okay. If I'm going to be grazing it or forage, it's going to get a heavier mix of stuff. Uh, my friend T.J. Curtis always talked about seeds per square foot and so typically 20 seeds per square foot on conventional it's not going to get raised if you're going to graze we kind of go up towards the 40 range and not that you get them all growing but that's kind of what i want out there we hear of course in farm country a lot about carbon programs these days you've been using these practices for a long time do you do anything with carbon programs because you use so many of these practices or is it just hey i've been doing this a long time and so uh, just the what i do well, I, I'm not in any carbon program. I've worked with with Indigo quite a bit and Farmer Minnesota Farmers Union on stuff for the carbon markets. I know about putting carbon in the ground. When it, the carbon markets first came out, I was not eligible. And now there's some there's some stuff come along that interests me as far as paying me for the practice I do on my bushels. And I really like that. I know uh, it's it's coming. I've seen the layout, how they're going to do it. I haven't got it yet, done it yet. But typically I don't think it would make me do anything different because I'm not after that. I'm after getting paid for a better product. And that's why I like the new programs that are coming instead of just paying you for tonnage. And, of course, the one pay guys have already been doing for long, so long because they already said, well, you've already captured all the carbon, which to me it just, I don't know. I don't, <laughs> I don't know. They don't have a good way to test. It's kind of like my hemp. One year we had 16 tests that had to go into the state to get tested. Four of them came back hot, saying, oh, you're going to have to terminate the crop, but you had an option to retest. And we told them to retest that exact same sample that they had. And lo and behold, only two came back hot. And it's like, well, you guys would have made me destroy some of my crop, but your testing isn't quite right. And I kind of feel the carbon markets, I don't know if the testing is perfectly you know aligned to what it should be and realistically you know what i think it should be you know how much water can you capture you know because if you can capture water you're going to capture carbon and it's so much easier to test and and to monitor and it has instant results right away as far as our local utilities not having to clean the water out because now we're they have cleaner water going to the streams so have others looked at what you do and, and begun to adopt, or are you still that farmer out there that is looked at as a little bit uh, different because you're trying all these, I should say, novel things. They've been around for a while, but you're certainly doing things differently than many people do. Yeah, it it grows slowly, which is okay because the infrastructure there for everyone to do cover crops is not there yet. Uh, but they can reduce tillage pretty easy. And, it, and it's I know a lot of guys that have d- reduced tillage in the soybeans but not the corn yet, and that's a great step. That's a really good step. So I think where I farm, I think every once in a while I get a new guy popping up. And it's like my my gravel road, which is two and a half miles long, I'm on a quarter of it or a third of it. And all of a sudden the next farmer next to me, he started doing it. So now you can literally drive along I-90 and you have two miles of cover crops. And I just, I really like that because I've seen cars stop and say, well, why is that green? It's, you know, it's November 1st, and it looks like a football field out there. I love that. <laughs> and, of course, then when you sell cattle, they see the cattle out there, and they see they want that. And I'm, I'm waiting for the canning company to say, hey, 
we're going to pay you for better food. You know, because I'm putting out better sweet corn. I know I am. So. Well, I wanted to get over to this a little bit, the, the economics of it. For you, you, you want to do good things for the soil. But ultimately, we also have to make a living, too. It works for you economically. I'm interested, is that because you grow more bushels? Is that because you have lesser inputs? Is it a combination of these things? I know, obviously, livestock figures into this, too, because you've got a complete system. But economically, how does it make sense? Usually, it's reduced inputs is what I've I've found. Uh, Yield-wise, I'm not better. I'm not worse. I'm just kind of right where I need to be. What's amazing, though, I will say is that I've when I'm really doing... My max stuff, I can really put out some great yields. I've had awesome sweet corn yields, awesome sunflower yields, hemp yields. And corn is just kind of stays right where it should be. And I really found that it's amazing. The more stuff I do and put it together, I can have a great result. Like, like on the organic side, what I do is after an alfalfa field, you know, most people go to corn and they'll have an okay yield. I'll go in instead of an alfalfa field, I'll put in a seven-way mix that we can graze for a year or two to transition and now with all those different varieties and i I gotta say i had chicory in this blend and not that it's just a super plant but it just shows that well when the heck do you ever have chicory on the ground i'm trying to teach the soil biology to work for itself it's gotten so lazy over the years from well 1874 or 75 is when tillage happened so it's been addicted to it's been addicted to drugs just like people except their drug is tillage and the soil's ground is tillage or chemical and the more i get away from both of those the more i can have a better results and every time i do something i you know being organic and conventional i've come up with a you know plus and negatives and so everything i do on the farm it's either a plus or it's a negative and every year i kind of gauge okay my organic ground had you know five negatives but eight positives and my conventional ground the regenerative side no-till side can have somewhere around there it's just the idea about offsetting and when you do something bad offset with something good hopefully you can add pluses more than negatives talk about fertilizer program are you doing uh, a lot of testing and how has what you do through cover crops and so forth impacted how much additional you have to put on the soil uh that's yeah that's one that i've been playing with a lot a lot of my P and K I used to spread when the corn was literally V six, and so technically they, you could say that well it's not getting that P up front where it needs to be. But I always know that it's coming after a large cover crop mix, so I know the ground is pumping out biology. And this year, yeah, I almost have a little bit of a ding, I think. And actually, I spread the P and K right when I planted. But, of course, it's not incorporated in. But if I'm going to spread fertilizer out there, it's going to be into a living cover crop with shade. So it's not just on bare soil. So fertilizer-wise, I've, I've cut back. I think nitrogen this year, I'm, I think I'm down to like 0.7 pounds of nitrogen per bushel. Last year, I know I cut all the way back to 85 pounds on my sweet corn ground. And I had an 8-ton conventional sweet corn, which I thought, oh, boy, that's disappointing. I was hoping for 9 or 10. And... So I found out that everyone around me had the exact same yield. And so I thought, you know what, I just saved, I usually do 145 pounds. I dropped to 85. I think that was probably too fast of a drop, but my soil health worked. And that's why I like pea ground because I come in with a large species. It's kind of like an energy drink. I give, a, give that soil a big smorgasbord, bunch of energy to get the biology pump, and then I'll come back with the sweet corn, and then the corn, and then the soybeans always the last one, and then 
jumps back to peas the next year. So every four years it gets a massive cover crop blend. Every three years it gets, or after sweet corn, it gets a really good one. Corn, I'll try and interseed. Sometimes it's before, you know, V6, or sometimes it's after it's harvested. So There's so much that we could get into. We barely touched the livestock uh, before we wind up, though, and we'll have to visit again. But uh, tell people how they can find you because there's a lot of information about your farm and some of your practices out there, I think. Well, I'm... A board member on the Minnesota Soil Health Coalition, so you can reach out to me on there. I'm on the mentor program. I am right along I-90, so if you're ever in Minnesota, you go just east of 35, a little ways, I'm right on the edge. So if you see cattle or something green along I-90, chances are it's me. I appreciate the time. Thank you. I appreciate you. Thanks for listening to this week's show. Remember, you can follow Farming the Countryside and our daily show, American Countryside, on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, YouTube, and TikTok. Just type in Farming the Countryside or American Countryside. And you can hear these shows in a variety of ways as well at farmingthecountryside.com, on many local radio stations, or your favorite podcast platform. If you miss one of our shows, just use those platforms to go back and find other topics of interest as well. I appreciate you joining me. I'm Andrew McCray. I'll catch you next time on Farming the Countryside. This edition of Farming the Countryside has been brought to you by Pivot BioProven 40 OS, the nitrogen you need now on seed. Learn more at pivotbio.com.